0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Kaderna podcast. I'm Brian Kaderna. So on today's episode, I'll be joined across the globe by Damien Andrews of Australia. He's a very well-known business consultant and author in his part of the world and is currently expanding operations to the US. He's got some awesome insights that he'll be sharing with us. You may or may not be surprised just to see how similar running a successful corporation is, no matter where it may be that you call home. But before we dive in, I'd just like to remind everyone to please subscribe to this channel wherever you're tuning in, whether it's YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to tell a friend and leave us a great review. So who is Damien Andrews? Damien began his career as a soldier in the Special Air Service Regiment of the Australian Army. He then became a corporate recovery specialist at Deloya Hamburg before he founded his consulting business. Damien has since helped companies such as Econics, which after implementing his operational efficiencies to their software, eventually sold to Oracle for $1.6 billion. Damien is the founder of the Family Peace Foundation and Share.Care, which stands for Strong Health and Inspiring Relationships. You can learn more at www.damianandrews.com, and be sure to check out his brand new book, Get the cheese, let the other mouse go first. Without further ado, here is
1: Damian Andrews.
0: Is going to require work and
1: time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change the only
2: constant. The Cadena Podcast. Damian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And yes, it is midnight, but um, I haven't turned into a pumpkin yet. So we should be fine.
0: <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, if you need that last cup of coffee, uh, you know, please help yourself. Um, so what's new? I, I know uh, we spoke, it was probably several months ago that you had me on your podcast. Um, I know you have a new book that, that just came out. So I want to congratulate you on that. Um, but what's the latest and greatest over there in the Outback?
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, it, it is. There's a lot happening here. Um, the world is is obviously. There's a lot changing and a lot of um, new things we've got to develop. Uh, and, and work through. Obviously, there's, you know, there's a lot of conflict happening, uh, which brings a lot of tension as well. We have the changing demographics where corporations are having to work out how do we attract quality talent and keep them because it's not like when my dad went to... well When I was growing up, my dad was working. It was an environment where there was an abundance of employees and it made it really easy if you, you know, to, to find people. But today, mm-hmm. it's a completely different environment. We don't have those same uh, quantity of people in the workforce, and organizations have to really change how they approach uh, finding employees, retaining employees, and it can work. You can actually find employees that actually stay with you long term, and and it's just one of those how you approach it, And, and I spend a lot of time working with organizations, setting up how we actually engage people, having the right systems in place, getting alignment between an organisation's goals and values and its mission and the impact it wants to make, the broader impact, not just the widget that it's selling or the service that it's offering, but what is the broader impact? And when you connect that with mm-hmm. the the employees, what, what is co- correct for them and have that right hiring mentality and have the right process in place, you find people that actually want to be there because they feel they're contributing to something bigger than just their job. And that results in those people staying with the organization a lot longer.
0: And just to give the folks, you know, some context here, you know, what is a a typical clientele look like for you as far as who you're consulting to, um, you know, with what you just discussed?
2: Yeah, a lot of the work I do is with large, um, either national or international corporations, so you're really big um, companies uh, that I work with uh, across a broad spectrum. I um, mean, I've worked with, you know, you mentioned construction. I certainly do have worked in that that sector, but I've also worked in manufacturing, IT, um, professional services as well, large retail, um, those kind of organisations. So it's very, very eclectic, my, my background as far as organisations go. And... I guess from that point of view, it is the same thing that we're dealing with. We're dealing with people. The, the products and services change, but at the end of the day, um, pleases and thank yous, respect, those kind of things are actually universal across all industries. And When, when you actually set up an organisation that shows respect to its, to its customers, to its employees, um, and to the broader community, all of a sudden we, you, you have an organisation that thrives really, really well and really easily.
0: Yeah. And, and before we kind of dive deeper, I just want to help, you know, I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners are here in the States um, and, you know, I may be a bit naive to the economy of Australia at the current point in time. So can you kind of bring us up to speed? I mean, are we running on parallel paths here? You know over here in, in America some of the, the things of course we're dealing with inflation that's finally cooling down we actually got some really good numbers just yesterday mm. um, but we've been dealing with inflation the past couple of years uh, interest rates you know that went you know high very quickly in 2022 um, that we're still kind of getting accustomed to still a very tight labor market. Our unemployment is near rock bottom. I know you just alluded to that a moment ago of, you know, it's it's harder to go out and find talent and that, it, you know, the worker right now has a little more control or power than the employer. Um, you know, and, and then of course we have all the, so how much of that is impacting work in Australia? Is it a very similar environment or would you classify it differently versus what we have here in the States?
2: From what I understand, it is very similar. The environment that we have, yes, we, we've got inflation, and I don't think we're through the inflation spiral yet. It's interesting that that's come up because I remember talking about this probably about 10 years ago and was talking about the the false economy that we have is when you shift um, your manufacturing base to a, a cheaper area, and that's progressively what happened over the years. Initially, we were producing things in Japan, and then it went to other countries, and then it went to China, progressively moving it to different locations that had cheaper labor essentially. And that gives a false sense of you know, that we're actually improving efficiency. Now we've run out, pretty much run out of places where we can shift things to that are going to make it cheaper to produce. So now we've got to become more efficient and on top of that you, you throw in the lack of labor. So as a result I think we had an artificial period of probably 10 to 12 years of low inflation. Um, and now we're getting back to what is what is realistically normal for an environment, which is probably going to be accelerated a little bit because, um, as you would be aware of in America, there's a lot of onshoring. A lot of companies are bringing their manufacturing bases back into the, the country, um, which means there's a bigger build-out. So on top of you know, a shortage of labour, you're actually trying to build out things as well. So that's going to increase inflation. So I don't think we're out of the inflation um period at the moment and I think we're probably heading heading to where we this would be about normal, I would say, where inflation would be. But I from what I understand it's it will go higher but then come back again is, is the longer term is my understanding of that longer term. And that's where companies really, really need to be focused on how do we make ourselves more efficient? And that's part of what I do with the organizations. I have a continuous improvement program that I implement where we have a, a regular weekly meeting um, very short, starts on time, finishes on time. That's my first criteria, must start on time and must finish on time. But we draw out what's <laughs> already it. that knowledge base yeah. within the place. So you're laughing at the starting on time, finish on time for meetings. But it's really critical to get that efficiency yeah. happening. And also, too, what I've found is you'll find... A lot of companies will go out and there's two ways that they they go through improvement is one is they'll hire an external firm that comes in and over a period of months they interview people and you know, a few months later you get a report and this is what you do and, and, and in all realistic terms that ends up on a shelf somewhere and never gets used, just collects dust. And so it's very expensive and time consuming. The other thing that organisations do is they'll have a lessons learned meeting so they'll have the whole day. Um, sometimes half a day but usually it's a whole day they'll get everyone in together and and they'll do a big brainstorming session and people take notes and you know use a whiteboard and take all these things Um, and then they'll pull all that together but again people don't really know what to do with it and the system that I implement is very different in the sense of that we have very very short meetings no more than half an hour it's in in big organizations we structure it in a way so it, it feeds up And then from there, we gather the information from the people that are actually really doing the work. These are the people that are on the front line. They know what's going on. They know where the problems is, where the problems are. And from that, we draw and go, okay, let's fix this part. And rather than trying to fix everything all at once, we pick a couple of key things. Everyone agrees on it. And we fix those things. And we move to the next thing and the next thing. And everyone gets, you know, buys into that, and the process that I have allows that harmonious um, structure to happen where people buy into it. And the, the, the process that I found, uh, from the process, what I found as a surprise was that complaints within an organisation almost disappeared once we started doing that largely because they felt they were being heard. But that, that was a surprise mm-hmm. to me. I wasn't expecting that. But it was something that did stand out, that this continuous improvement program that I have, and there's details of that on my website, um, it actually help, it just reduces um, yeah. complaints. People become more collaborative, more happier at work, uh, and which is what we really need in this environment. When there is a shortage of employees, you, you want people to be happy in the, um, the organisation.
0: Sure. What are some of like the, the biggest complaints that you see right now, or, or a lot of the work that you're dealing with when you when you're brought in as a consultant? Um, I know just from what I've seen, a lot of the large companies, again here in the states, are dealing with um, you know remote working. That seems mm-hmm. to be a sticking point. That you know we had COVID happened. Uh, there was early retirement for a huge section of the workforce. And yeah. now a lot of our labor shortage is because so many of these people that said, hey, I'll work till 65 said, you know, at 57, you know what, I, I think I'm ready to retire now, like, well, I don't need to keep it going. And then everybody else went remote. And now employers are in such a pickle where they're they're trying to get back some of their veterans, mm-hmm. uh, or they're trying to really speed up the progress of their younger workers to fill those roles. And then you have the workers, you know, wanting higher pay, better benefits, and they don't want to go back into the office. So with the people that you're dealing with, when you talk about taking in um, some of these employee complaints and and building a good culture, um, you know, is is that one of the biggest things you see? Or what are some of the obstacles and what are some of the responses that are, are working
1: for you?
2: Yeah, I love that that you brought that up because one of the things that I've found, and and I love the quote from Disraeli that says there are three types of lies: lies, damn lies, and statistics. And I find that so much in the employee space, where what happens is is an employee starts to get disgruntled, and then they start looking, and when they start looking, they actually find some more money, and then when they they get they get that job, when they do the exit interview, they say, "Why did you leave?" And it was because they say, "Oh, because I got more money." And that's what goes on the form, that they got more money, and that was the reason they left. But it wasn't the reason they started looking. The reason they started looking is they were disgruntled with how it was operating. They weren't feeling respected. Hmm. They, they weren't feeling they had a purpose. And i found you know, there's organized clients that I've had, um, some smaller clients, interestingly. They've got people there. They're a second-generation family company. I'm thinking one particular engineering firm. They're a second-generation company. So the the father started, the sons took over. Many of the employees were there when the father was running the business. They're still there now. They could earn more money elsewhere, um, but they love the environment that they're working in. They love that that um, the atmosphere that's created, and. There's a lot to be said for that. So creating this environment Mm -hmm. where people feel heard, and that's part of that continuous improvement program I was talking about, was giving them an opportunity to feel heard. When they've got a gripe, here's a, a way of putting that forward, but also putting it forward in a way that shows, hey, we can't deal with everybody's problem all at once. It's just not practical. So we set it up in a way where people, you know, they, mm-hmm. they come to the first meeting. Everyone has their, um, their two items. They're, this this is set up at the start. They have the two two complaints that they want to bring forward, and then we prioritize it together. We go, okay, here's the list. There's 20 here. We've got 10 people in the meeting. There's 20 items. Here's the the order that's in in priority. Can we actually fix all these at once? And I've never had anyone say yes because it's just not practical. And then I will say, what if we focus on the top two? Can we focus on that and then move down? And what I've found from that, people go, they they buy and they feel, even though they they understand where their problem fits within the whole um, number of issues that the company is facing, they also feel that they're contributing to solve the problem. But also too, a lot of the times, some of the problems that aren't as high a priority, people are actually go out and fix themselves. So a lot of these things get fixed rather than just because they're waiting for someone to do it. They're actually empowered to fix it themselves. And that gives them an even greater sense of purpose to be part of this organization, which significantly helps that that retention of the employees and solves a lot of problems. And that said, that's why I think a lot of the complaints stop when we implement that continuous improvement program um, and system that I have. Got it.
0: And, and so I have two follow-up questions to that. Um, The first, it it sounds like you're a firm believer that if you create a good culture, a good atmosphere or team, however you want to qualify it, Mm. that that can trump money. And that, you know, I love that you said, you know, people are leaving to get more money, but that's not the reason that they started looking in the first place. Correct. So just to kind of piggyback on that. I almost want to challenge if if you really believe that that's true, because I feel like as an economy, even as a global economy, mm. we're moving more towards, uh, you know, focusing on the self. And I don't just mean that in a bad way. I mean it almost in an, a more entrepreneurial way where people are saying, you know what, I'm going to kind of rather than just be a company man and stay here for 40 years or work for the government for 40 years, I'm going to try and brand myself, build my resume, and leapfrog from position to position to get promotions and get, you know, accreditations and more money. That seems to be the trend. And I guess I'm asking, like, is is that okay? Is that a good thing? Or is it better to have someone that's a lifer with the company? Um, Because I mean, that's the vibe I get is that people are out there saying I need to move in order to make more money. And I have the pick of the litter right now. So why not? And Mm. It almost seems like this may be anecdotal, but that people lean more towards, um, yes, they're leaving for more money, but sometimes they're also starting with that.
2: Certainly, there'll be people that would do that. And I would have fallen into that category when I was an employee. It was definitely all about the money for me. Um, And but that's (laughs) not and this is the thing that we get is we can put things we can have a big, broad brushstroke and go, okay, this is this is applies to everything, but it doesn't. There's always outliers. There's no, whatever bell curve you have, there's always, you know, ends of the bell curve, which don't fit within that. And there's certainly people out there that definitely are looking for more money. And also too, it's when you're looking at within an organization, um, if you're looking at how to, um, keep employees, it has to, you have to maintain what's going on in an inflationary environment, wages are going up. So you have to match that. You can't just, just um not not do that and it's a balance if if someone's there's there's a lot of risk in moving in, and we have as a people an inherent um uh, unconscious uh drive to stay within the herd to stay safe We we are driven by that and we are actually there's there's that if you do jump out it might not be as good. The grass may not be as greener on the other side and, and there's a lot of risk there. So people have that unconscious drive. So a lot of people have that. Yes, some people do take those risks. Some people take those risks and find out that it doesn't work out so well. I've had a number of people that I know, friends of mine, that took the jump, went to another organization and it was just terrible. It messed up their life. So there is that risk. Um, but yes, money is is a is a factor. I'm certainly, not saying money is not a factor. It's certainly a factor, and it's one that you need to balance. If you're an organisation, you need to make sure that what you're doing is current. But I I think that combination of showing that respect, um, having the person feel worthwhile, feeling that they're contributing not just to the company, but again, this is something that and I've very have seen very few people teach. Is that it's not about the widget that you're making. It's what does that widget mean to people's lives? Um, and there's a number of companies that do do that quite well. But when you look at what is the broader social impact that your widget, your service is having, and if you li- if you have that engagement, that connection with the em- employees, again, it becomes harder and harder for them to make that jump just for money. Especially if they're being paid well and their life is, is good and they're being, you know, they feel like they're getting value for their services. Um, it's almost, if they feel like they're getting value, uh, they're getting paid mm-hmm. value for the service they're providing, it's pretty much impossible for them to want to move because they feel comfortable. And that's the environment that you want to create, that they feel valued and they're getting their, their, their remuneration is value for the service that they're offering. And when you create that environment, they will stay.
0: Got it. And, and what's your take on, you know, you have the employee that says, oh, you know, maybe the grass is greener and, mm. and I'm going to take that jump. I'm going to go to a competitor or a different field. And then it's not. And they find out, you know, I, I didn't have it so bad where I came from. It seems like right now that former employer, because of the labor shortage, is like, oh, we we'll welcome you back anytime with open arms. You know, mm. it, it, the door is always open here. What's your stance on that? Do you feel like an employer should take that approach or should they be firm and say, I don't want to say spiteful, but almost <laughs> if we weren't good enough and you wanted to leave our team, hmm. then leave. And the ship is moving on without you. And I think there, it sounds harsh, but I think there's some value in that saying, you know, we just want people who kind of bleed the company color. And if, if you want to leave, then go ahead. But now we're moving on. We're not waiting around for you.
2: Yeah, I, I hear that question and I'm, I'm laughing at the question because I've been in both sides of that question. I've actually left an organization and things didn't work out. And then the, it, it was a mutual thing where I came back and actually got more money by coming back. Uh, it, was, it was an unusual situation. It, it just seemed to work out. <laughs> okay. And I've been on the other side of that too where I've had people that have left to go somewhere else. And then uh, two or three years later they've come back and looked to come back and, and create because it wasn't working out as well as it, as it... Well, they initially didn't lead with that, but through the conversation I found out that they it didn't work out as well and that was part of the reason they were coming back or wanted to come back. Um, so that can be... It's a bit of both. I think it's it becomes unique to the situation. It's how, how does that work because I think... If the person was a genuinely good um, employee, genuinely good person, and they they felt they needed to move, and that was my circumstance when I left the company that I left with. Um, it was a um, excuse me. It was a, a business firm, and I left to do some other things. I had some other things that I just wanted to do differently. I actually went from an accounting to a role to into film and television for a bit. So it was just something I wanted to try different. Um, and then, you know, it, it came back to getting, um, and then when I wanted to come back into the industry, I I, I approached them and then came back in. So it, it depends on how, how that is, how that works. And if it's, it's a genuine thing, I don't think it's too big a deal. We, we all need to go and, um, you know, we, we, there's many stories depending, I grew up, um. Uh, I'm, I'm Polish, Ukrainian background, and you know, very much Catholic upbringing. So I went to to church a lot with my my mum and grandparents. Um, and there's the story of the prodigal, you know, the prodigal son who goes off and then comes back. So you go, well, where does that fit within that story for sure. people that have those kind of beliefs? Um, so it's, it's it depends on the situation, but. It's, being spiteful about it, it's probably not a good thing to do because it's going to hurt you in other ways. If, if you're feeling that way, then it's probably going to be affecting you in other ways <laughs> in your business. So it's probably not a good thing to have.
0: Fair enough. And so to that point, do you believe in non-competes? Because I, I hear you know, you invest so much in an employee, uh, you recruited them, you trained them. Now to protect the company and essentially their property if you will their intellectual property there needs to be something to assure them that now they have a talented worker for at least a period of time where the opposition would say hey in a capitalist environment you the employer you've got to bring it to the table whether that's money culture etc or else that individual is free to take their next step um and so what's your take i mean do you believe in non-competes
2: I think there's an element to that. Certainly, there's intellectual property that you do need to protect. And, and I completely understand that and the reasons for that. And, and we need that. That's what creates the innovation that we have. Why would you invest so much money if you weren't actually, um, you know, if someone could just go and copy it and, 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 um, and take all the, the work that you did to develop it? So there's a certain element of that. The other element that I would add to that is is too much focus on the non-compete side of things and the way you frame that can be really stifling for um, the innovation component. And that's where if you're constantly innovating, if someone take go you know just say you have an employee, you train them in your systems, and then they go somewhere else and they and they try and implement those systems. Well, if you're stagnating. Um, well, then that's going to be of value. But if your process is to constantly innovate, and that's why the continuous improvement program that I have is about continual innovation. So if someone copies something you've done, by the time they implement it, because it's going to take, in a large organization, it's going to take six months at a minimum to implement anyway. Um, by the time they implement it, you're already moved ahead. Mm-hmm. So that it becomes redundant that they're copying. It's kind of like taking you know, last year's computer chip and putting it in your computer and, and, and taking that as an advantage. And, I mean, if you look at, um, you know, through history and and, and just in part of the book you mentioned that, I, I talk about the Apollo program and I, and I go through that as one of the analogies in, in one of the chapters in the book. Um, you look at that. The, the space race between the Soviets and the Americans. And for most of that space race, the Soviets were winning. Um, and then if you take it over, uh, over time, because of how they operated, because they were actually stealing a lot of things rather than innovating themselves, they didn't create an environment that encouraged innovation, and now we fully see what that looks like, um, where they pretty much can't do anything themselves. Then mm-hmm. that really hurts you, and that's where I think you know we need obviously need to protect our uh, intellectual property. But at the same token to it, that shouldn't come at the price of focusing on innovation and moving forward. Because when we draw from, you know, I like to draw from nature a lot, and if you're not if you're not evolving, you're dying, and that's where that focus needs to be. Let's let's evolve. So if someone, as an employee, goes somewhere else, that's fine. Because in six months whatever they've taken with them is going to be obsolete anyway, if you're doing things correctly.
0: Sure. No, that's well said.
2: And so I like
0: that, you know, we've kind of danced around this concept you have of the continuous improvement program, um, which I think is just a, a great concept. I, I think it's what companies are either are are consciously or subconsciously trying to do that, hopefully at least the good ones. <laughs> so my question is, can you point to any company right now, um, that is kind of doing that and doing that the right way that that maybe listeners and viewers uh can can recognize you know someone in the fortune 500 that you say that's the current model they they've got it going
2: yeah i mean i'd like to say that and that I'm, I'm currently starting to expand to the the america into america but i can't really point to that in american system because i haven't seen what they do internally um, I know there's a number of companies in, in Australia which I've, okay. I've worked with and do that, but again, you if you were looking at it from the outside, you wouldn't know because this is done tightly inside an organization and that's part of why we have that process of, of doing that. But Companies that continually evolve. Um, you know, one of the ones that I did write about in the book, another one is um, Dropbox as to how they continually in, in, innovated. Um, and then talking about the pinnacle group in, in another chapter in, in the book with Nina Vasa, how she continually innovated. Um, so there are processes with companies doing that, how, how they've specifically done that. I, I, I'm, I haven't been inside that company, so I can't talk. Um, from that perspective of the detail of how they've done that, but there's certainly companies like that that continually evolve, continually move forward and adjust to what the market does. And if a company is continually growing um, and with satisfied customers, satisfied employees generally across the board, then they've probably got some good systems in there would be a, a good way of gauging that. Okay.
0: And so the book, maybe that's a a good kind of launch point or segue, I should say, for the book, again, titled Get the Cheese, Let the Other Mouse Go First. Um, I just love that title. Can you give us kind of a cliff notes of what's this book about? Someone picks it up on the shelf, says, I love the title. I'm going to judge the book by its cover. I'm going to buy it. What can they expect? What would they hope to take away from that book?
2: What I wanted to do with the book was take things that are a demotivational ha- and give it a, <clears throat> excuse me, give it a flip. So the, the get the cheese, let the other g- mouse go first came from the quote: "The early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese." And I wanted to add a different flavour to a book. I wanted to make it fun so there's, um, in each chapter, it's based on a a particular quote like that. Well, there's another quote. um, It's, um, hard work never killed anyone, but why take the chance? Um, The only mystery in the world is why kamikaze pilots wore helmets. Um, and so taking quotes like that, and, and then making a shift. And the the early, <laughs> the early bird may get the whirl, worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. We we I introduce characters uh, Bella the Robin. She's the early bird, and she's up there getting it. And then you have Lana and Milo, the um, the two mice that are, are working. They're very different characters. their brother and sister mice. One's very out there and just gung ho, and goes forward. And Lana's a little bit you know more cautious about how she approaches things. Um, And then in each chapter, so we go through their story, which through metaphor explains that, that concept of where the early bird can succeed and the risks that's faced by the early bird. So the first, the innovators... Um, and then also, too, how the the second mouse can get the cheese by being, you know, understanding the market, what's going on. And, and then from in that particular chapter, I explore how the iPod was so successful, what made it so successful, because the iPod wasn't the first. MP, so, and I break that down into a, a system that people can actually follow. So we've got this nice, fun story. We actually look at the history of of, um, of music as well, which is part of the the lead as to why the ipod would be successful because it was something music was something we all wanted so an, an ipod an mp3 player was always going to be successful if you got the right formula because there was enough need for that and i have a little bit of fun as well i i give my imagining of what what went on in in um... steve jobs office when um... he had the innovation for the ipod so i have a bit of fun with that where he's he's sitting there staring at a gift from bill um... which is an ugly box sitting on his on his table with an even uglier screen box and and that someone's stirring him up and 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 as an innovation as to where the the ipod come from so just have a bit of bit of tongue in cheek um, what was the thought process going through steve job's head when he come up with the idea for the ipod
0: that's great that's pretty cool and i love the format of the book i think it makes it very readable so would the message be at least kind of what i'm hearing at face value is don't necessarily invent but rather innovate uh, is that what you counsel a lot of your clients in these corporations to, um, rather than, than try and take that Hail Mary approach or or that risk of first to market, um, just kind of see what's out there and say, how can I make good better? Is that the message?
2: In that chapter, it explores both. So what I wanted to do was that there is a, a, a valid reason for innovating and being the first out there, but you need to do it in a sensible way. Um, and, and an example of where that wasn't done was, was Google Glass, for example. They just went gung ho in there, really didn't think it through and um, a lot of money was spent on something that probably could have been avoided had it been thought through a little bit more so especially when you're innovating and that's where I wanted Bella the Robin there's there's a lot of time spent with Bella and and all the different things that you could even that could get you such as government red tape there's a lot of times where you'll get out there and as a business going into a new area and there won't be legislation that covers that and then you'll all of a sudden be you know hit, hit with that and all these factors when you're going into this this innovation space being that early bird, you need to consider um, that it's probably going to be a lot more expensive and a lot more time consuming than you've allowed for. We have a bit of optimism bias that creeps in, but again, that's, that's just one chapter. Um, and so we, we talk about, you know, hard work never killed anyone, but why take the chance? And, and in that, I, we break down Nina Vassar and the Pinnacle Group, and we look at, and you've got Toby, the, um, trapdoor spider, and, um, Felicity the frog, and, and they have a, a meeting, and, and Toby's really gung-ho, but he's, um. He's always late and and there's reasons for that and and felicity's more laid back and she knows how to delegate really well and, and the the chapter is on in 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 how to to really look at how do we um how do we delegate how do we how do we leverage our own experience and and one of the areas that i draw from there is also looking at the great pyramids how you know, there was a lot of delegation in the creation of the Great Pyramids. So we explore how the Great Pyramids were, were made and, and how delegation actually helped make that work.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I love the historical references are always helpful too. Mm. So to pivot just a bit from your book to one of your, your sayings or concepts, um, which people can find right on your website, which is again, DamienAndrews.com. You talk a lot about what you call the unbalanced wheel. In in that you essentially have these four components: you have revenue, profit, operations, and culture. Hmm. So I know it's almost counterintuitive for me to ask, you know, which of those is most important, um, <laughs> because then that might lead to an imbalance. But when you sit down with a company, I mean, they they sound at you know at face value kind of generic, simple. You know, of course, we want to increase revenue. We wanna lower expenses so that their profits increases. You know, We need to have efficient operations. And then culture, culture, culture is, is certainly a buzzword to make a happy environment. Mm. Does one lead the way?
2: Yeah, that's the interesting point. That's a great question. Does one lead the way? And I would have to say no. I think they need to work in harmony and that's part of the the operation working and there used to be a strong push for sales that was the one thing that was the big focus sales and now um, there was a very clear shift that organizations are now really focusing on culture but they all feed into each other and that's why it's a wheel and that needs to be in balance and so we need to have everything working together and that's where a lot of companies actually struggle because they they operate in silos for those different departments that the the culture department will be different from the sales and they really won't speak to each other and it becomes really, really um, inefficient in how it operates. However, with some simple little shifts, and that's where that continuous improvement model that I use, we actually have a a variant of that that we use for the the, um, the departments to speak to each other so that they understand what each other is doing and how that impacts each other. And we think that through and that comes back to what we were talking about with um, get the cheese is that you have a clear understanding of what you're doing before you just gung-ho and go do something because a lot of times sales might do something or, or um, the the HR department might do something but it doesn't sync up with the rest of the organization and through a hard lesson they fix it and eventually get there but you don't have to go through that hard lesson if you actually have the structure up front to actually think through this a little bit clearly at the start and play it out properly and that's micro learning social learnings and gamification so we break down the programs in that space where we because when we look at how people operate we operate out of habits so and this is where I mentioned before about and they'll come in and get a, a an external company in to do this big report coming with all these changes but none of that will happen get gung-ho for a week or so and then people go back to their old behaviors if you're trying to change a mass amount of habits immediately it's not going to work and that's where the micro learnings are really important because what we're doing is we're having little um, little shifts, little regular shifts that people adopt and it becomes part of how they operate and then by making that a social learning it becomes not the shift that someone's doing individually but because of how it's structured they're actually learning from each other so even while they're talking you know, over a coffee they're actually inspiring each other to to learn and obviously the gamification we all, you know, we all know the story of mario and getting those gold coins you get excited when i mean i played you know, video games as a kid you get excited when you get those little gold coins when you set that up in a social (laughs) environment where people are getting those gold coins by their interaction and they're getting these micro learnings, all of a sudden that change happens really quickly. But at a level when we're talking about the wheel, it's all happening together because it's integrated well uh, together and those problems are then avoided. And
0: I wanted to ask, do you have any in this continuous improvement program, do you have any technology that you're leveraging right now that's a part of that? Or is it more the classic um, we'll have weekly or quarterly meetings where we'll bring everybody together, have kind of a, uh, a think tank of what should we do, or are you doing anything where it's like a drop box of, you know, anyone can share random ideas through some forum or communicate through an instant messaging from HR to sales, to, you know, accounting. Um, it, it seems like that would fit nicely. Do you have any sort of technology
2: that you could share with us? We do, um, but it's it's at the high end as far as cost goes. A lot of the times I will use what a, an organisation has um, and so if they're using a particular you know platform or CRM or whatever it is, we'll take that in and I've had some companies where they're just using a basic spreadsheet for some of their work as well, and we'll, we'll use that um, because that's what they're used to. so it's it's not going in and changing the whole system. But I also too have at the back end um, where we have uh, actually' a friend of mine in Texas, he's the the IT designer behind that. so we actually have a platform that we can integrate for an organization. It's a complete platform, and we have that set up where it's a whole LMS. There's a a whole module of communication within that. Um, And from that, we actually, it's custom built, so it's it's not, it's in in the more, you know, it's like a a Rolls-Royce, it's very custom-built. And so it's not cheap in in that sense, but it works really well from the sense of it's very seamless for that, again, micro learning, social learnings and gamification. So someone can go into the back end and they go, actually, I've got a presentation to do, um, next week, and they can pull out the module that deals with how to be a little bit more confident in their presentation, that kind of thing. Or they might have, you know, how to. <clears throat> they've got a sales call coming up, so they can go to that module and pull out the little micro learnings, and, and then it gives a way of interacting with people in a social environment where they can actually practice those skills. So that that's a, a, a um, hardware at the the back end that companies can integrate as an LMS, but yeah, it's, it is custom built at this moment. We're working towards it being an actual product, but at at the moment, it's custom built. Okay, interesting. And so, as we kind of you
0: know wrap everything together here near the end, I know you're busy. I know we're pushing one o'clock your time, <laughs> no, but uh, right. I wanted to ask you, Damien, so our, our listeners anyway. can know a little bit more about you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Then we're good. We'll keep it going. <laughs> um but a quote i've been i read it recently and i've been thinking about it and applying it more to my own kind of thinking if you will is simply you are all you used to be mm. and so with that said you know a lot that you're consulting on the experience that you're bringing to the table could you maybe share with us a success or failure or maybe they go hand in hand from early on, maybe when you were getting started at college age or young professional, something you wish you did differently or, or a mistake that sent you on a different trajectory. And then maybe something more recently as a well-established professional, um, either a success or mistake or one of both. I think that would be very insightful for us if you wouldn't mind um, sharing.
2: One of the things that I had very early on when I first wanted to work in the corporate environment, so I'd spend my time in the army, then I went and worked in the mines and come back and I actually was a ballroom dance teacher for a little bit as well. Um, and then I went back to university or as a mature-age student and studied commerce and, and accounting. Don't do any of those for excitement, but they're very useful. And I wanted to work in the corporate recovery field. And I... There's a company that I found that they looked everything that I wanted. They were perfect. They had a beautiful office. They just seemed to be everything that I wanted. And and I prepared so much for that interview. I was ready for it. I went in, and I I owned it. I was the person. And I walked out of there, you know, 10 foot tall, thinking, I've got this, I've nailed this, beautiful, looking forward to that. Um, Two days later, I got a phone call. It wasn't the phone call I was expecting. Uh, I didn't get the job, and I was really distraught by that um, because I just was so certain I was going to get it. And so I, um, I I had a few drinks, shall we say, <laughs> and I felt sorry for myself. And and as my dad says, <laughs> don't try and drown your problems because the suckers float. Uh, so you know, I, I, I dusted myself off and, and went back out there and and and. I applied for some other positions, similar positions at different firms. It turned out that I got um, I got this job working for another firm where the the two the two partners were actually ex, X um, was a firm called here, Ferriers, which was a big big accounting firm, one of the big accounting firms, and they were very very well regarded, have very very um, good reputation. Um, and what turned out was the company that I didn't get the job for with were dodgy brothers they had a very poor reputation in the market even though they had this flashy appearance on the outside it was in corporate recovery is a small um industry and they had a really bad reputation so had i got that job um i would have been labeled with that um reputation as well and from that i i really took on board just when things don't go your way
0: blessing in disguise
2: yeah just just don't don't get too upset about it and ask you know why does that happen, or beat yourself up saying there's a there's a reason that you may never know what it is, but keep looking forward and that was a big lesson for me so no matter no matter what happened when things you know some other you know crappy things happen in my life um it never became about you know, th- there's a reason for that I may never know what it is, but keep looking forward so that was a big one for me on a personal level to always be looking forward. Um, and I remember Eddie Murphy talking about that on Seinfeld's show when he was on there. He goes, always look forward. And I go, yeah, so connect with that. Just look forward no matter what happens. Um, so that was a, a really big one for me um, early on in my career. Um, you know, in my, I think I was in my mid-20s then, mid mid to late 20s. Um, and it became a big thing um, for me to always look forward. Um, yeah, and- no,
0: thank you for sharing that. I think that's um, very helpful. and Yeah. Uh, And then kind of fast-forwarding, so I think that gave us a bit of a micro viewpoint into, you know, your own experience. Maybe to conclude here, from the macro level, you look at all that's going on in the world. You know, you could flip in on the news any night and you're seeing uh, what's going on in Israel and Gaza, what's still going on with Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our president is going to see President Xi Jinping of China this week. Um, There's just so much going on there. And you have all the conversations surrounding AI and that that's the future. You talked at the very beginning about onshoring, about countries trying to bring back uh, some of the manufacturing and some of their own control. So mm. you have these, these monster macroeconomic issues going on. What do you think is maybe at the forefront? If, if a listener is saying, you know, what should I take advantage of? What should I study a little bit more, whether it's tech or you name it? Uh, anything that, that you could see that's kind of dominating, you know, your conversations today?
2: Certainly, I think that ability to actually make things happen. Um, AI, you mentioned, is a big one. And I think over the next, from what I see over the next five to seven years, we're going to see a massive shift um, in the white collar space. And And there's always... Talk about that already when you add in um, the entertainment industry in the US with extras now being able to be, you know, they scan an extra and then I can use that person's image as an AI to do a whole bunch of things on film and television when you're talking about you know things like the law um the and i deal with a little bit of the law myself and i've found even from an ai perspective as, as rudimentary as it is now it's been extremely helpful to put something into um, a chat bot and ask a question and it's given me ideas um that lawyers haven't told me um, and I've gone, oh, I can see how that works. So I think in a white collar space um, for the wow. guy wearing the white collar shirt, um, there, there's a lot of of uh, things that are going to change. Um, and where you need to be is really, I think this is where it, being authentic um, or authentic, as I tend to joke about, is that you need to. Be yourself in this environment, whether you're an organisation or whether you're an individual, because being yourself is unique, and that's what's going to stand out. If you're trying to, you know, copy someone else, well, firstly, if you're trying to copy someone else, you're behind already, because if certainly if they're innovating, you're going to be, be always be behind them, and that's where organisations and people really need to be authentic. Authentic, <laughs> authentic. They need really need to be clear about what it is yeah. they're doing, and not only that. What is the value that they're adding to the wider world? Because people connect with that. We all, we all. I think people genuinely care. Most people genuinely care, and yes, we've lost a bit of that with social media and people there. There is that, but I find what I found, and I think what really stood out was when you had the um, in America, you had the Bud Light experience. And a number of those work, you know, people that just were Mm -hmm. jumping on the bandwagon of going woke, and, and people had had enough. They said, no. And, and what, that's where I think it is. You need to be careful about what you read on the social media and what you read in the news, because I think a lot of that is a minority view and the, the actual, the authentic people are busy going about their work. And that's where I I really don't trust a lot of those surveys that are done and and things like that, because it's a lot of people complaining, not so much the people that are just getting on there and and doing the job. Mm -hmm. And that's where, moving forward, there is going to be massive changes. The demographics are just going to force that. We're heading into an environment that has never happened in history. I mean, China alone its demographic, its its population is going to shrink like half a billion people over the next 30 years, 30 to 35 years. We know that because the people aren't being That's born. That's
0: incredible. Yep.
2: Yeah. And, and so there is no economic model for that kind of collapse, hmm. um, demographic collapse. But it's not just China. It's around the world. But if you're, if you're focusing on adding value, moving forward, allowing for the risk that's there, so not taking too big a risk, allowing for okay for inflation with lower um, amounts of employees there, there will be higher inflation that's just the nature of how it is, but that's the environment we're going to and and if you're focused on adding value being authentic authentic, you will have a unique value proposition that people will connect to.
0: Yeah, that was excellent. I mean, there's so much to unpack there, Um, Damien. So thank you very much. And I think when you mentioned like what happened with Bud Light, that was spot on. I think both corporate America, our politicians, everyone out there is kind of debating, like, do we try and appeal to the silent majority or do we want to appease the loud minority? And um, you could see, you know, with, with a lot of the initiatives, that's what they were going after is to try and, uh, you know, catch the wave of whatever was creating a lot of noise without recognizing that that doesn't necessarily represent the whole makeup. Um, so that was that was a really interesting insight because that was so timely. Uh, but Damien, this was great. You know, there's there's so much here that, that we can learn from from your experiences. I'd encourage everyone, if, again, if you want to check out Damien's website, it's Damienandrews.com. His book is called Get the Cheese, What the Other Mouse Go First. So definitely check that one out. And Damian, thank you for making the time today.
2: Pleasure, Brian. Anytime, I'd love to have a follow-up if there's any more discussion you'd like to have. But thank you very much for making the time. It's been wonderful. really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, our pleasure. And everyone, thank you again for tuning into the Kaderna po- podcast. I please ask you to leave a review, tell a friend, subscribe wherever it is that you're watching or listening. That really helps the show here. And we'll continue to bring you more wealth as a state of well-being. Until next time, I'm Brian Kaderna and be well.
1: This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Coderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Coderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broad Acres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, phone number 973-244-4420. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Hederna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California insurance license number 0K04194.